It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. With the 114th selection in the 2017 Major League Baseball first-year player draft, the Milwaukee Brewers selected left-handed pitcher Brendan Murphy from Mundelein High School in Illinois. And with that, episode number 114 of the Show Before the Show podcast arrives to you. I would like to take credit for that, but Sam kind of inspired it with the title of the email in which he gave me the show rundown today. said, and with the 114th pick in the draft to remind me that it was episode 114. But then I figured I'd give pick 114 a little bit of airtime. So congratulations, Brendan Murphy. <laughs> yeah, we got, we got to Brendan Murphy. Enjoy your moment to, of fame. Yeah, we got to Brendan Murphy before we got to Royce Lewis yeah. and Mackenzie Gore. That'll so. be the first time that Brendan Murphy has been given his due above those guys. Maybe, maybe the first of many times. We don't know. Maybe Brendan yeah. Murphy, fourth round pick. That's a that's a good spot. It's definitely a name that I'm going to remember going yeah. forward. Just like when we interview him in two years on this podcast. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We talked about home. you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so with that, hi, hey, welcome in everybody. It is the 114th episode of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. I'm Tyler Mon. He is Sam Dykstra. We're going to talk a whole lot of Major League Baseball first year player draft in this episode, which we are recording on the third and final day of the 2017 draft, June 14th, wrapping things up with rounds 11 through 40 today. A lot of guys picked, a lot of guys going off the board. I think as we're recording this, they are in round 36 or 37, so things are getting pretty close to coming down to the end. Uh, we'll be talking a lot of drafts here coming up momentarily. Uh, before we get into it, though, thanks for tuning into the show before the show podcast. Head on to iTunes, head on to wherever you grab your podcast and give us a rating and a review and a subscription. Uh, and you can find all of our past episodes at MILB.com slash podcast. You can also find us through some various apps on the Android side as well. Stitcher app has got us. Somebody else tweeted at me the other day that another podcast app has us. Uh, but of course, I forgot the name of what that podcast app is. So if you got the Stitcher app, you're all set. And wherever you're tuned into us now, obviously you found us. So thanks for being here. And let's get started with three strikes for episode 114. The Major League Baseball first year player draft. By the time you hear this, will be in the books. Uh, so some prizes early on, uh, especially at the very top of the draft. One big surprise that we'll talk about. Um, but really, I think for the most part, especially through that first round, not a lot of reaches, not a lot of guys that you were shocked to see fall. Um, it seems like things played out mostly as we expected them to. But, Sam, you were there on Monday night in Secaucus, New Jersey at MLB Network for the opening, the first two rounds of the draft on, on Monday night. Uh, and you got to hear Commissioner Rob Manford call the name of the 1-1 pick, which was shortstop Royce Lewis uh, out of Junipero Serra Catholic High School in San Juan Capistrano, California. And that was somewhat of a surprise i i think that there were certainly indications that maybe the twins were leaning that way but it really seemed like it was going to come down to a couple of other names who were not in the mix at the end there's a lot of discussion always around picks like that that you're not necessarily signing a guy or drafting a guy just because of the money you're going to give him because of maybe what it impacts for the money you have available for other guys later on in the draft but give me your reaction to that top pick and how the first round shook down when you were there on monday yeah, with that pick, um, 
when you know when people were discussing one one going into the draft, uh, Royce Lewis, let's get one thing straight, was was on the list. I mean, he he is a talent that's good enough um, to go you know in those first five picks. Um, this is not a reach by any means. He he is a seventy grade runner according to MLB.com, which makes him you know one of the fastest runners in the minors on on day one. Uh, whenever he you know first puts on a Twins uniform, uh, he can either play shortstop or center field. Um, having that type of up the middle prospect is, is very valuable. Um, where his future position will be might be determined by his arm, might be determined by other situational factors inside the Twins organization. Uh, we'll have to see how those things shake out. His bat could be above average. Not a lot of power there yet, but he's coming out of high school. Um, you know, lots to like with this guy. So to, to so to say that he's a big surprise at one one isn't entirely accurate but like tyler said you know there could be some signability things here the the rumor going into the day going into the week i would say was uh that they were going to go with kyle wright out of vanderbilt at that spot um as monday progressed it, it seemed like he had slipped out of that conversation then it was brendan mckay who was you know both a first baseman and a left-handed pitcher out of the university of louisville we talked about him last week uh, a duality option at at that first pick um, you know, whether he's going to be a left-handed pitcher or a first baseman is going to be up to the organization that takes him. Um, there was a report, and I wish I could cite exactly who had it, but that McKay had been offered, you know, the Twins went to him and said, would you sign at this level? And he said no. Um, and at that point, they moved on to Lewis, who I'm sure, you know, in, in the coming weeks, we'll hear about how much he signs for. It'll probably be a little under slot, um, but that is the first overall pick. So slot is incredibly high there. Um, and they'll be able to use those savings on their draft picks, you know, in the other ten or the other nine rounds of the draft, um, in which they have to worry about their bonus pool. So signability probably an issue here, but let's not take anything away from Royce Lewis. Um, you know, he is an exciting prospect. Um, you know, if he adds some power, becomes a little bit better offensively, and you know, he's coming out of high school, he has every opportunity to do that. Uh, he could be, you know, a, a very enticing prospect for that. Twins uh, system that doesn't necessarily have the top top talent. Their top prospect right now is Nick Gordon. Wouldn't worry about that yet. It's going to be years before before Royce Lewis and uh, Nick Gordon cross paths, if that ever happens. Um, and if it does, the Twins would love to have that problem where they're trying to figure out who fits what position. Um, but it's going to be a while yet before we hear about that. So Lewis going there, um, a, a little bit of a surprise just because. I, I didn't think he's necessarily as good a prospect as Hunter Green or uh, McKay or Kyle Wright. Um, so, you know, in the names that were being mentioned there, I think he was out of that kind of top tier with those other guys. But, you know, so many other factors go into it um, to hear his name there didn't necessarily blow me back as, as maybe it could have. Uh, Hunter Green going number two to the Reds. Uh, everything you were reading going into Monday night's draft was that he was not going to drop lower than that. Uh, if you've heard about Hunter Green, you know about the fact that his fastball can uh, touch triple digits. He kept talking all night that he wants to play both positions. Um, he seems to think, you know, the Reds got two players for one in taking him. Uh, obviously, the Reds agree by taking him with that spot. You know, how much of shortstop he's going to play in the minors, we'll have to wait and see. Um, they seem to let, you know, allow him to be able to do that um, all the way up through instructs. Maybe they'll try to sit sit him down figure something out this offseason but at least to begin he'll do both 
uh, try to show the Reds what, what they have. But when you have a guy who's throwing triple digits, it's it's difficult for me to predict that he's going to uh, be a position player solely going forward. Uh, Mackenzie Gore going three to the Padres had a lot, uh, some good velocity this year, uh, thrown in the mid-90s out of his high school in North Carolina, um, has a really good curveball. That's your basic starter set for a top high school left-handed pitcher. Uh, and, you know, they – He's also got a slider and a changeup that have earned pretty good grades, and his control is really good. If you ever get a chance to watch Mackenzie Gore, try to do it without runners on base. He's got a leg kick that is just wicked. Uh, it's super pronounced, but it helps him with that control. Uh, it's going to be fun to see that hopefully stay um, in the minors. It seems to be working for him so far. And then McKay falls number four to the Rays. Um, the, the reason I like that pick, not only because I, I think Brendan McKay – is really talented whether he is a pitcher or a first baseman is that he because he's with the Rays we get to play this experiment for a little while longer uh you know if he went to a National League team um we would have to try to predict like oh well he's probably gonna have to pick one or the other uh with McKay they'll allow him to pitch they'll allow him to hit you know DH on his days days off and that can continue I mean it theoretically he could make it the major leagues as a left-handed pitcher and a DH um, that would be kind of game changing. We haven't seen that stateside at, at that high a level, I think, ever. Um, so it's it's fun that we get to continue that thought experiment, and that'll certainly be a storyline going forward in the minors. Uh, Kyle Wright goes number five to the Braves. I'll kind of cut off, cut it off here, but I think that's where the upper tier kind of ends. Um, like I said earlier, Wright was in that conversation as an you know one one pick. Uh, he's a 21 year old right hander. He has a plus fastball, his curveball, slider, changeup, all earned above average grades, uh, 121 strikeouts, only 31 walks, and 103 in a third innings this year at Vanderbilt. Uh, Vanderbilt obviously has that conveyor belt of pitching in recent years, dating all the way back to David Price. And then, you know, Pedro Alvarez, Dansby Swanson also went top five out of that program. Obviously not pitchers, but, you know, this is a, a quality program. What I find really interesting about uh, right going to the Braves is that's another pitcher to add to that mix. He was the best player available at that position at that number five spot. Um, so I don't knock them for that. And, you know, you want a starting rotation that is solid one through five. So the only way you do that is acquire as many arms as you can. Um, but this is now the list of guys who are ranked prospects right now in the Brave system that have been taken in the first round in recent years. Colby Allard, Mike Soroka, Sean Newcomb, Max Fried, Ian Anderson, Tukey Toussaint, and Lucas Sims. And now we add Kyle Wright to that mix. So they're just trying, again, you know, we've we talked before about how they're trying to get as much talent and then you're throwing it at the dartboard and seeing what sticks and uh, going from there. Uh, Wright has as good an, an opportunity as any of those guys, maybe even better. Uh, he's in that mix probably with Allard and Soroka of being pitchers who could lead a rotation someday. Um, and not just be a three or four or five option. His stuff is good enough, and he's got a deep enough mix um, to be a top-of-the-rotation guy. Uh, and when you have an opportunity to take like take somebody like that when they fall into your lap, like Wright did at number five, uh, you take it. So top five really interesting. Just going beyond that, um, two picks that I really, really liked uh, was Jaron Kendall uh, going to the Dodgers at number 23. Uh, Kendall has lots of speed, um, has some pretty good pop, hit 15 home runs again for Vanderbilt this year, uh, has above average arm. He's going to play really well in center field. He's going to stick there. 
the the big question mark is that can he hit the ball enough? He struck out 25.1% of, of his uh, plate appearances this year with Vanderbilt. If that happens in the minors, I think that's okay. You can put up with that type of contact rate. Um, but the fact that he came against co- in college against lesser arms, he's going to see better pitches, better pitchers in the minors. That that can only go up from there. Um, is he going to hit enough? Uh, the, but uh, all the other tools are loud enough that he could have justified being a top 15 pick. Uh, I saw him at number 11 to the White Sox in a lot of mocks. The fact that he fell to the Dodgers, they must have been thrilled with. And as we know, the Dodgers are in a pretty good place now anyways. They don't need to rush somebody like Kendall, even though he is you know, a, a college bat, um, you know, somebody a little bit more advanced in, in terms of his development, uh, that they could rush him maybe if they needed to, but they absolutely do not. Um, so that could allow him to get that development time he needs, um, allow him to work on that contact rate. So I really like that pick. Uh, also, J.B. Bukowskis uh, going number 15 to the Astros. If it was just based on stuff alone, I think Bukowskis is probably a top 10 pick. Um, the Astros get him at number 15, uh, mostly because of size. He's just six foot. Um, but his fastball is considered a plus plus, so that's like a 70 grade on the 2080 scale. He's got a really, really good slider. Uh, he struck out 116 batters, 92 and two thirds innings this year at UNC. Um, so there's not much in terms of projectability, but based on pure stuff, based on what you can see uh, and the way he has performed, it's both the eye test and and the performance test. Uh, he's passed both with flying colors. Uh, teams are just kind of scared from from taking. You know, somebody who they don't see can really add much to what he's already done. Um, but what he's already done has been fantastic, and I think he could be a quick mover in an Astro. You know, in an Astro system that's done a really good job of producing talent lately. Uh, maybe not necessarily on the arm side, other than Lance McCullers and Joe Musgrove, maybe. Uh, but you know, uh, Astros are unquestionably right now the best team in baseball. Uh, and the fact that they can add a prospect like Bukowskis at, when they did in the middle of the first round is, is very promising. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, like Tyler kind of said at the beginning, um, I don't think there was that many here were major, major he- head scratchers. Maybe uh, the Brewers taking Keston Hyura at number nine. He's a guy who could need Tommy John surgery and could miss a year. And after that, we don't even know what his position might be, but his bat is so good. Uh, that even then you could justify a top 10 pick. So overall, uh, I think a solid draft this year. Nothing that's going to make me question things down the line. As we said last week, um, give this draft you know, five, ten years maybe even uh, before we can really say uh, what was X team doing with you know pick number seven, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we need to see how these guys are going to shake out. But as things stand, I think everybody did pretty well. Sam's got a whole bunch of stuff up on the site right now at MILB.com. You can check out uh, the story from Monday night from the initial first round reaction and uh, some more coverage, of course, from us and from MLB Pipeline as well on the top talents in the 2017 draft, where they're all headed, um, who all is going to sign, all that type of stuff, because that's always a question mark with some of these guys as well. But um, for that that upper echelon group, there's some really, really fun guys to watch in that group. And um, it's, it's interesting to see, uh, you know, you talk about some of those arms like Kyle Wright, like J.B. Buskowskis, guys who can come across from the collegiate level and jump in at the upper minors. I mean, maybe not a double A AA or triple A, but can start their careers conceivably at the class A advanced level if that's what organizations ask them to do. For a guy like Bukowskis, the the Astros 
they've developed talent in every conceivable way, in every possible setting in recent years. And with a team that is primed for playoff runs this year, obviously, and over the next several years, you kind of wonder, is there maybe a track for a guy like J.B. Bukaskis in a relief role to jump into the major leagues the way we've seen teams do it with young arms in recent seasons? You know, guys like Brandon Finnegan come to mind. Brandon Finnegan pitched in the College World Series and in the Major League World Series in the same year, the former TCU Horn Frog, who was then drafted by the Kansas City Royals. That stuff has kind of come into vogue. A lot's going to depend on the workload, obviously, uh, and I'm not saying that's the Astros' plan with Bukaskis, but for guys like him, for guys like Kyle Wright and some of the other arms that were taken from the college ranks, um, Clark Schmidt went one pick right behind Bukaskis to the New York Yankees. The college guys can make that climb pretty quickly, and that's fun to watch because we've discussed time and time again on this podcast, teams are very excited about giving prospects a chance, and if you force the issue, if you're effective in the minor leagues and you can force your way up the ladder, you knock on the major league door quicker nowadays in baseball, and it tends to be answered quicker than what it was 10, 15 years ago. So it's pretty cool, and there's a lot of stuff up on the site right now that you can check out. Uh, strike two this week. Minor league all-star games are coming up fast and furious over the next couple of weeks, and we've got a bunch of the rosters announced. Um, Sam, what is the most intriguing roster to you? I'm going with the California League, the Class A Advanced Circuit. Yeah, so I'm going to go with the Carolina League um, just because. Oh, oh, Wait. are you? Oh, yes, I am. Oh, this, oh is it, this is awkward now, isn't this it? This got so uncomfortable. We used to share an all-star game, uh, and now we no longer do. It's, what, it's, what happened to us? But you're looking did, well. Uh, it's good to see you again. I'm sure <laughs> things are going well for you. Um, no, if you didn't know, there is no longer a California-Carolina League all-star game separate now. California League will play its own. Carolina League will play its own. So that's uh, that was one of the real cool crossover things in minor league baseball. It's not around for 2017. Yeah. But tell me about yours first, then we'll talk about mine. Well, right, yeah. So, well, the interesting thing about uh, splitting up these all-star games like this, it's that, um, you know, the talent kind of gets diluted, right? Like, if you're in a 10-team league, uh, there's not going to be as much talent, you would think, in an all-star game as much as, you know, it is the all-star game. It is the Midsummer Classic. It's supposed to be the best of your circuit. Um, there's, there's just not as many options. So you're going to get more guys who aren't necessarily great performers in an all-star game. Um, but why I picked the Carolina league is because even after it split, you know, so now it's, it's not only just trying to fill one roster, it's trying to fill two, uh, between the North division and the South division. It still has seven of MLB.com's top 100 prospects are on either the Carolina North or South division all-star roster. That is really impressive. Which is nuts. Um, so th- just to go through those names, it's Eloy Jimenez, Corey Ray, Isan Diaz, Zach Collins, Franklin Perez. They'll all be on the South Division roster. On the North Division, it's Tristan McKenzie and Victor Robles. Uh, that's all. Th- those seven guys, they could be in like the Futures game, and none of us would shake our heads. You know that to have them in one game is kind of unexpected. Even though they were in the same league together, the fact that they've all performed pretty well, um, you know, some of them probably wouldn't have been represented in the if the Cal Carolina League All Star Game still existed. But the fact that they will all be in Salem um, for this year's game, which uh, is happening on June twentieth, like I said, in Salem, so that's next Tuesday after when you guys are hearing this, uh, that that's just going to be fascinating. The fact that Jimenez uh, is on that team is great. I think he's going to be starting as the South team's designated hitter uh, which is great because if you get a chance to watch him as hit take your opportunity when you have it um but 
he started the year with a bone bruise or with, excuse me, with a bruise in his shoulder. Um, even after that, he's more than made up enough time. Uh, but don't worry that, that, you know, South outfield, even if he's not in it, is going to be really interesting with Corey Ray there. Uh, Zach Collins behind the plate, Franklin Perez potentially getting uh, some time on the mound. And I think the league's best hitter isn't even one of those top 100 prospects this year. It's Michael Chavis. Uh, who has been not only one of the Carolina League's best hitters this year, but also one of the best hitters in all the minors. Uh, at last check, he was leading the Carolina League in all three Triple Crown categories, um, as well as slugging percentage and OPS. Uh, when this uh, roster page went up, he had an OPS of 1.078. Um, so not only is it just top, top talent, but there are guys – who have really performed well in that Carolina league. You'll be able to see all of them next Tuesday in that Salem game. Um, and, and I, you know, that part of me was disappointed when the California league and the Carolina league, I guess, personified by me and me and uh, Tyler uh, split up. Cause I thought it was going to be a diluted game. We were um, so good together. I know. Yeah. They, <laughs> I, I think about us often <laughs> when it, in my darker times, I hope you're, but, well. uh, but no, it, it, it's still going to be, it's still really cool that, uh, this much talent can be impacted into one game. So that's that's my side of the breakup, Tyler. Why don't you just tell your stupid story? Oh, yeah. No, that's great. We got to hear you talk about yourself. Maybe that's why we broke up. Um, <laughs> California League. Uh, really, the, the South roster on the California League side is a bit more loaded than the North roster. Um, the South roster is led by Rockies prospect Brendan Rogers, the 10th overall prospect in baseball, who, as of recording this today, has hits now in 21 straight games. He's batting for the season... 405, 424, 697. That's in 44 games. It's an 1122 OPS, and you can say, oh, yeah, but he plays at Lancaster. Sure, Lancaster's going to inflate that number a little bit. In his 22 games at Lancaster, he's batting 500. But that also means that away from Lancaster, he's still hitting 305 with a 484 slugging percentage and a 797 OPS. So he's done impressive work there as well. Uh, but that roster pretty well loaded because it's not just Rodgers who leads things on the position player side. Josh Naylor, formerly a very highly ranked prospect, formerly a first-round pick, uh, and now in his second organization, the first baseman with the San Diego Padres organization, uh, he'll be one of three first basemen on the infield side for the Cal South Division All-Stars. He's going to be joined by a Padres teammate, Cal Quantrill, who is the second-ranked prospect in that organization. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Had him on the podcast, of course, as you will recall. Um, but there is some really, really exciting talent on that side on the south side on the north side it's a little bit of a thinner roster but there's some still really intriguing pieces to it aj puck the left-hander from the stockton ports the oakland athletics organization uh the former florida ace and last year um a first round pick in the draft as well he'll be joined by his battery mate sean murphy the catcher for the stockton ports the catchers as sam pointed out in his story a loaded pair for the North Division, uh, Aramis Garcia is the other one. Murphy is the 14th-ranked A's prospect. Garcia is the 13th-ranked Giants prospect. So there's some really good talent there. There's also some really good names on the North Division side, which I feel like we really have to point out. Gianfranco Wawo, who has been one of the best names in the minor leagues for quite some time, now of the Modesto Nuts. Uh, and Sky Bolt of the Stockton Ports, he is also a member of the roster. So maybe, maybe they don't have as many ranked prospects. They got the better names on the North Division side. I definitely Maybe want Wawa to open up a gas station across from a Wawa. <laughs> Just like one of those Just situations where you brand. see like a Walgreens across the street from a CBS. I want to see a Wawa <laughs> across from a Wawa. I think it's a good point. 
I think it's a really good idea. Also, a uh, friend of the podcast, Jeff Bajanaru, is a member of the uh, the coaching staff for the Cal's North Division team, which will be the staff of the host site, Visalia Rawhide. Uh, on the other side, it's the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes coaching staff, led by manager Drew Saylor. Um, so it's uh, two of the most talented coaching staffs in that league as well. Shelly Duncan is the manager of the Visalia Rawhide, you'll remember from his major league days. Um, but Drew Saylor is a very bright, young, rising managerial talent in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization so there's some cool stuff going on over there um and you know we were we were really good together i just want to remember our good times the 2010 I, game in myrtle beach very close to my heart i want to remember those days i don't want to i don't want to i don't want us to wither and die sam i still have the scrapbook <laughs> i look at it often strike three this week the milwaukee brewers have gone nuts with roster promotions lewis brinson's to the show josh haters to the show brandon woodruff is to the show brett phillips is to the show what's going on with this milwaukee group and how did i miss them all in colorado springs what's wrong with me <laughs> i know that's the thing is it, it's almost i haven't made it down there for a single game yeah it's got this feeling of if you're still left in Colorado Springs, and I don't <laughs> yeah. like, there are some good people there that are still really left. good talent still there. Yeah, but if you're still left, you, you got to think like, why? You know, well, like the they, party's all over now, and I'm still here. Yeah, uh, I think part of the the reason they're calling up so many guys. I mean, obviously, it helps that um, you know the roster situation is there. There have been some openings. Uh, Ryan Braun is still on the DL with a with a calf injury. Um, Travis Shaw had. You know, had a child, I think, so he went on paternity leave for a couple of days and then had a family family emergency uh, that he had to go down. So Brett Phillips came up twice for him. Um, Brandon Woodruff uh, came up to help the team yesterday. Unfortunately, he's already on the disabled list, didn't even get to make his debut. Um, but still, you know, 10-day disabled list, he's still on the team for 10 days, still cashing a major league paycheck. That matters for something. And uh, Lewis Brinson kind of filling that hole for Braun um, we're kind of at the time of the year where Super 2 concerns, if you don't know what Super 2 means, it's basically uh, a way teams get to push back arbitration um, for certain players. And it's not necessarily about buying another free agency year. Um, it's just from keeping them from getting to arbitration one year earlier. That usually, there is no hard Super 2 deadline. Um, it usually comes around the middle of June. Um, so... The fact that we're around that time now, the, the Brewers had some roster openings. You know, they need uh, pitching help. I think they only have four starters on the roster right now, even with uh, Brandon Woodruff on the DL. Um, so, you know, it all kind of worked into a perfect storm in terms of getting these guys to the majors. But I think it's really fun. I mean, it it's nice to see the Brewers who we thought were going to be kind of a – a lowly team in the NL Central. The fact that they are competing, you know, they're 34 and 32 right now. Uh, on its own, doesn't look like a sparkling record, but they're still, you know, one game up with the Chicago Cubs, um, two two and a half games up on the Cardinals. That division is fairly tight. They want to compete. You know, if they have the talent, and they, Lord knows, we've talked about it before, they had that talent at AAA. Let's let's give them their chance now. That Sky Sox lineup. Uh, Woodruff was. Performing especially well too, uh, as you heard us talk to him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, if these guys are ready, let them get their looks now. You know, there's really nothing holding them back. If they want to compete, go for it. Use the internal options that you have. Um, what happens when Ryan Braun comes back? Uh, I think is going to be interesting. Uh, you know, Brinson's kind of 
filling that hole. They've done a couple different things in terms of left field. They've tried Eric Thames out there that I've watched him. He doesn't really look like a, a positive fit. Um, yeah, they still have Keon Broxton playing center. So, yeah, is Lewis Brinson, his natural position is center. Is he going to be able to knock Broxton off? Broxton hasn't been necessarily the performer this year that Bill Milwaukee would have hoped for. Uh, Domingo Santana is pretty well set up in right. So what happens when Braun comes back? You know, we can figure that out at a later date. But it just seems uh, they've got the line of guys that we said were talented and we're going to get to the majors eventually all got there pretty quick. Um, and that, that's exciting to see, to see guys graduate to the majors, to get their chance to, uh, see good performance and good skills rewarded in the way that they are being rewarded in that Milwaukee system is, is really interesting. So, uh, good for those guys and looking forward to seeing, uh, if the Brewers can get even better than they have been, uh, over these first couple months of the season. Yeah, this is ahead of schedule for the Brewers, and it's pretty cool for Brewers fans who I think, no, I mean, they're only two games over 500. They're not blowing the world out of the water right now, but they're in first place, and they have played well uh, regardless of, you know, the the projections that 2017 probably wasn't going to be that great of a season for Milwaukee. Will they stay there all year? The Cubs are the more talented team. They're probably going to take that division. But if you're a Brewers fan, the fact that you're doing this right now and this wave of talent is starting to arrive, which makes 2018 and 2019 that much more promising, 2017 is great gravy right now ride this as long as you can uh that's a team that is fun to watch uh because of things that aren't even just the prospects eric thames has been the most ridiculously exciting story of the season for milwaukee and now that these guys are all getting there brett phillips lewis brinson josh hater brandon woodruff all this talent ryan cordell is still triple a Colorado springs all these guys who are really fun to watch they get there they get that experience this year Next couple of years start to look even brighter for Milwaukee. So that is strike three for this week's edition of the show before the show. Sam, tell us about our interview for this 114th episode. It's not pick number 114, but tell us about it anyway. Yeah, so uh, at this year's draft, um, I got a chance. I got a chance to uh, well before this year, year's draft. The way it works, they have the four guys who are there. So Hunter Green, Joe Adele, Trevor Rogers, and uh, Bubba Thompson. Um, you know, they get to show up, they get to be in the draft room. This isn't like the NFL draft where most of the first round picks are there. Um, everybody gets invitations. Some of them are still playing college. Uh, so they're, it's usually not college guys who show up, usually high school guys. Sometimes these guys would rather be at home having their own parties. That's perfectly fine. Um, but those who do get to show up, they get a a grand tour of New York city. I know they went to city field ahead of time. Uh, and they also have, uh, what's called a media luncheon at the commissioner's office. So I was able to attend that. Um, I, I wrote a tool shed this week on Bubba Thompson, uh, his decision to go solely baseball instead of going, you know, pursuing a potential college career at football where he was getting offers in the SEC. Uh, and I also talked to this week's guest, Joe Adele, who ended up going number 10 to the Angels. Um, if you know anything about the Angels system, you know it's, it's not a great one right now. Um, they needed to make kind of an exciting pick. And I think they did uh, here with Adele. Uh, he's coming out of Kentucky. He was a commitment to Louisville. Uh, another plus-plus run guy. He's got lots of speed. Um, makes you think that he's probably going to stick in center field at the next level. He's got a really good arm that's going to work out there as well. Um, he had been a pitcher in the past. Um, somebody who could throw in the 90s with these. Um, but he said he that's not his thing. You know, He, he decided to go full bore in terms of being a hitter. Um, 
he shows some pretty good power. He's only 18, just turned 18 in, in, in April. So even he's kind of young for this draft class. And uh, yeah, so he's going to be an exciting piece in this Angels system that really needs these. I mean, he is going to be kind of a, he's high risk, but he's also very high reward. Um, but to kind of set this up as I was doing, you know, I talked to him at the media lunch and he did not know yet that he was going to be taken by the Angels. You won't hear us talk about the Angels. You won't hear us talk about, um, you know, what his signing fee is because he didn't know when he was going to go. Um, but we did get into some of the topics and some of his preparation uh, for the 20, 2017 draft. So with that, um, here is the number 10 pick in this year's 2017 draft, Joe Adele. Just what has this draft experience been like for you, working through the spring, working up to this moment that you get the invitation to be here, which means something. You know, they expect you to go high. What what is this whole experience been like? Uh, it's definitely a dream come true. Um, like my dad and my, my mom always say, um, whatever you want to do, put a goal out in front and go and get it. And, and you know, this is obviously you know, the halfway point of the goal, uh, you know, to be here and, and, and be a part of the draft this year and, and hopefully uh, get to the big leagues. And, you know, it's just another milestone that I've accomplished and I'm just proud to be here and, and experience it with my family. And at what point this season or, you know, even coming into the year, did you realize first round could be a possibility? Um, towards the towards the middle of the season, I was playing really well. I felt really comfortable, and it didn't really matter who was in the stands to me. I was just out playing ball and, and was playing really well. And, and just, I, I've always had the confidence in myself that um, if this is the path I want to take, then that I'll that I'll work my way to be able to have that opportunity. And so, and now and to be here, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, and I know you've gone through the showcase circuit before. What is that experience like? I mean, that's just so different to get chosen for that knowing that you're kind of putting on you know, all your tools on display like that. What is that like? It's awesome. I think it's I think the guys that I've met has been, you know, the most exciting part for me is, is just to meet everybody and, and to play with those guys. Everybody across the whole circuit this year has been great and and uh, just go out and grind and show that you're the best of the best. And I think that that was a, a bunch of fun for me to be able to put myself out there and show what I can do compared to everybody else. And, um, you know, that, that's what I live for and, and that's what I love to do. So. Yeah, you won a derby on uh, the Ariaco games, I think. Ariaco games. Yeah, what was your approach going into that? Because those derbies are just completely different animals. I uh, know. I, I had a couple of things. You know, uh, self-pride a little bit, and it was also uh, for my team. My team won uh, uh, the new New Balances yep. um, if I won. So I had oh, little, okay. Yeah, all right, so there you go. I had a little pressure on me. And they were like, man, we really want these all-white cleats, Joe. <laughs> like, you got to go out and do your thing. And, and uh, me and Clay Overcash, which was my coach, and BP Thrower, me and him got in a rhythm, and it was great, and uh, just a bunch of fun. Just to see my, my, my team excited for me, and more so for the shoes, I guess. Yeah, I know. Yeah, how much were you feeding off them, and, and just the atmosphere of the day going into that? that it was awesome, man. It's just awesome the way they set it up. Uh, everybody was excited. You had everybody behind you yelling and screaming. Just awesome event, and and a uh, bunch of fun. And, and the weather was great too. <laughs> how much did you get out of those shoes? Like, how long did you wear them for? Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm very skeptical when I put them on. You know? like, <laughs> my, my my high school fields turn. So, oh, games, okay. you know, All right, that, you that's go. the move for yeah, sure. Yeah. That was the move. Nice. And even just going further back, you know, when did you realize you were good enough to be on even that showcase circuit, you know, getting chosen out of, you know, a state like yours, like Kentucky? and then being put on a national circuit like that. What, what, when did that happen? Uh, when I was about 15 years old, I was still more of a two-way player, so I, I pitched and hit. Um, 
And I think that I had one year of travel ball out of state under my belt. So my first year of out of state travel ball was when I was 14 years old. And um, I got the rhythm of just being away from home and just going and grinding it out and getting after it. And then the following year, my, my 15U, 16U season, I was playing with the Canes, which was a national team for me. And uh, I had the confidence. The confidence just built from there. I, I felt comfortable every time I went out and played. And, and um, you know, I just loved grinding it out. And like I said earlier, playing against the best of the best. And, and I ended up putting myself at the top. So, um that's that's a good that's a good feeling for me. It's a good place to be. Yeah, even when you were on those that you know state team, how much of a measuring stick were you using yourself, or were you just playing your game, or were you like kind of seeing how much better you are than the competition? State team, the or like well, that first team you said, like the oh the, the Canes. First, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I was definitely looking around, trying to see um, you know what was what, who was who. Uh, the big thing was is I'm a different player than everybody else in the team, and I can only do what I can do. And um, you know, the Canes mentality is we play together. We play as one and we try to win a championship. I knew that was the goal, so I, whatever I had to do to help win, I did it. Uh, it wasn't really a self-comparison, but I recognized that I was a big tribute um, to the success that we had as a team, and I, and I really appreciated that. <laughs> and you talked about being a two-way player. Um, when did you decide to kind of focus your efforts on being a position player? Uh, about a year and a half ago, I played with the Canes, my 16U, the start of the 16U season, halfway through, I was stroking the ball, you know, just hitting the ball really well, and, and uh, they, you know, Evo should always has a, has a, uh, a bunch of pitchers, a bunch of guys throwing. So um, I was like, hey, I love to hit, and I really want to focus on this. I love playing outfield, love playing center field. So I focused from that point on just outfield, just center field and, and swinging the bat. So was it more just individual skills plus like the roster situation, or was there something just about the outfield that you gravitate towards? You feel like? uh, it was a little bit of a mix of both. Um, I could always get on the mound and throw if I needed to, but I really just loved you know, floating around in center field and, and being a part of the game every day. Um, because I love to play every day. I played 145 games last year, including high school and summer. So I, I really enjoyed that part of it. And uh, yeah, you know, it was a little bit of my decision and coach's decision, I guess, is, hey, we'll let you do this. This is your strength, and we're going to let you roll with it. And in this year's draft, there's so much talk about two-way players. Did you ever have a scout or you ever have a team in this process come up to you and talk about maybe going back on the mound and doing both or not? Do think that's oh, absolutely, coming? absolutely. I, I think that uh, I, I'm going to hit as long as I can. And if uh, I resort back to the mound or if I have to, then definitely going to do that because I love the game of baseball. Um, but, you know, for me, I want to be able to do what I, what I would like to do and, and what I can do at a high level, and that's swing the bat and play center field. So I'm going to do that you know, as long as I can, and, and uh, we'll see what happens from there. Mm -hmm. And what are you kind of preparing for for, for a like, full minor league season, coming to every day? You know, it's different than high school. Um, no go, coming every day, playing baseball every day. You know, what are you kind of preparing for for that experience once you do sign and get picked and all that? Uh, for me, just maintaining strength and being uh, being ready to go every day. You know, figuring out a way to wake up and just be ready to go and get after. And I've, and I've done a good job over you know the past couple of years. I think that the mix between playing high school ball and summer ball, uh, summer travel ball, and all the circuit stuff, it's kind of a preparation in itself. I would say just because you're playing all the time, you're playing during the week all the time, just about every day, and um, you know you learn how to get yourself ready to go and get yourself um, in the mode to, to work hard and play every day. And, and that's exactly what what minor league baseball. Well, talking a lot of amateur baseball and uh, the initial days of professional baseball careers for guys who are jumping into the minor leagues, and we switch from that to one of the, the seasoned veterans at MILB.com, our go-to guy. It's Benjamin Hill. Hi, Ben. 
Hey Tyler, and, and Tyler, you didn't say hello to me off the air, and this is the I, first time I've even addressed you today, and I, I, I feel like I'm still warming up here. I wanted to see how that would affect our, our <laughs> chemistry, because ordinarily I feel like, what if we're just wasting gold outside of recording time, then we get into recording time, then we're like down a step, maybe we'll just fly through, maybe this will be the best interview yet. Although judging all by right, the good. way I just stumbled over all that, probably not. No, no, that was good. Good strategy, <laughs> I support your approach, and, and hi Sam, it's nice to see I, you uh, too. Yeah, you yeah too, and hi Sam. I, I mean, I feel yeah. like a lot of stuff we we normally do, we'll say like, yeah, we just ended uh, ended up talking about this off air, so now let's just get it all yeah. out there now. Tyler ignored me, did not That's say true. a thing off air. Well, now we're, we're airing our dirty laundry in front of the podcast crowd. <laughs> I like well, it. we should bring up what happened over the weekend. Actually, right, yeah, Tyler, are you we jealous? probably should do that. Are you jealous? Sam and I hung out, had a great time. I heard at the Belmont Stakes, and uh, Tyler was not there, and people yeah, no, kept coming cool. up to us like, "Hey, it's Ben Hill and 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 Sam Dykster from the Show Before the Show podcast. Where's Tyler Mon? Actually, no." You guys don't need him anyway. It was, I'm sorry, man, but people kept telling us that. I'll be honest. Um, if if I had to hang out with two dudes who were dressed like both of you at the Belmont, I probably would be okay with not having to. <laughs> well, Sam and I took very different uh, sartorial yeah. Just kidding. Sam looked like, yeah. a, like, a, like a late 19th century grifter of some kind who was traveling around the West. And Ben had a, a Montgomery Biscuits t-shirt and then an MILB umpire's hat on. So Ben went full-on casual, and Sam went very formal. And, uh, that's, and you met in the middle with some dude who's replacing me, apparently. Yeah, he photobombed, but then we just realized we had a good chemistry, and uh, uh, you'll be hearing from him next week in place of Tyler Mon on the show before the show podcast. Why he literally just jumped week? in the picture. Like there were we there were the two of us that we thought was going to be nice, and we were going to send it to you, Tyler, just saying like missing you or something like that. And then this guy just jumps in and was just like, no, 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 I'm part of the picture now. Why? Uh, um, why are we waiting an extra week before he replaces me? Uh, he had to get his uh, green card. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say he had to get like his podcasting license. Yeah, yeah, and his podcasting license. Yeah, so. to do that. Just some go through a lot of to jump through. A lot of hours of training before you can host a podcast like this. Let me you tell you. Permit and then his license. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, hey, with that, let's get started on this week's edition of our conversation with Benjamin Hill. And uh, there is a new entrant onto the minor league team turned foodstuff market. Uh, this week, which is in Promo Watch. One that I'm a big fan of, but I also have some questions about. Uh, it's the Albuquerque Isotopes, who will turn themselves into the Albuquerque Green Chili Cheeseburgers on Friday, which uh, they'll be taking on the Fresno Grizzlies, who will compete as the Fresno Tacos in that game. Not often that we see alternates or we see throwbacks or we see stuff like that for the road team, but I feel like we've seen that a lot this year, but neither here nor there. The Green Chili Cheeseburgers, uh, the Topes came out with this over the offseason. It is the latest one of a team going with a, a local and well-renowned food item uh, following in the footsteps of, obviously, the tacos, the cheesesteaks for Lehigh Valley. Ben, give us the lowdown on the uh, the green chili cheeseburgers. Right. Well, it's it's the latest in the trend, uh, the regional food rebranding for one night. It's taking place this Friday, June 16th. And, um, yeah, I was interested by this one because I've I definitely – I've been to New Mexico, and I, I'm aware of the general green chili love, you know, roasted green chilies and often kind of made into a uh, – I don't know if you call it a paste, but, you know, chopped and spreadable like a condiment. Um, but I didn't know specifically green chili cheeseburgers were such a big thing in the region. And they, you know, didn't just do Albuquerque green chilies. Green, they're the green chili cheeseburgers. And so really uh, emphasizing the cheeseburger aspect of as well. You know, it's a basic cheeseburger. 
but with green chilies on top. And it's huge in not just Albuquerque, but all of New Mexico. I was talking to John Traub, the team's general manager, and uh, you know he told me people are really passionate about it, where to get the best one. The same way when you talk to someone from Philadelphia and they had their cheesesteak opinions in Albuquerque and in New Mexico at large. Uh, people have their green chili cheeseburger opinions. Uh, you can Google it. The state of New Mexico, uh, I guess their their tourism board or uh, what have you, has assembled a green chili cheeseburger trail with dozens of places throughout the state that you can go to and get green chili cheeseburgers. So uh, that's what Albuquerque's doing, the latest in the trend, the green chili cheeseburgers. And of course, I'll have uh, green chili cheeseburgers at the ballpark and incorporate that into the night's themes. And uh, hey, you know. Teams like to be creative, they like to have fun, but they also like to make money, and no doubt that this has been a boon to the uh, Isotopes revenue this season. Uh, talking to John Traub again, the, the GM, you know, he said that they have sold a ton of uh, green chili hats and uh, shirts and uh, having trouble keeping the stuff in stock, and um, you know, so who knows what portion of their merchandise revenue will just be green chili cheeseburger related, but no doubt that it is enhanced their bottom line and help get the word out about them as a baseball club, as well as uh, the love in New Mexico and beyond for green chili cheeseburgers. Okay, I got to go on a little rant because that's the annoying thing that I do, and obviously it's going to happen when it comes to food. Um, I'm in a, a neighboring state. Ordinarily, I'm like the most annoying, like, eh, my state and my city are the coolest on earth, blah, 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 like as if I did something to warrant being born where I was born. But anyway... This is uh, an interesting thing because New Mexico really is the birthplace of the green chili phenomenon. And I'm going to call out the city and state in which I live, Denver, Colorado, in that I feel like we have tried to co-opt that and claim that that's like our thing. And I'm going to go on record and say that it's not. Like this is a full-on New Mexico thing that I'm very thankful has bled over the border and come north. But uh, the, the way that somebody explained this to me as how passionate New Mexicans are about this is at McDonald's, in New Mexico, you can get a green chili cheeseburger. It's like a special thing that McDonald's only does in New Mexico, apparently. But you can get one of those there. The only thing that confuses me about this, and this is my final point, but uh, I, I don't know why they went with green chili cheeseburgers and not just green chilies. Because, A, um, there's a quote in here from John Traub, who is the general manager of the Albuquerque Isotopes. Quote, people here put green chili on everything, which is true. And, B, the uh, the logo that Brandios came up with that's on the sleeve is of kind of the rotating grill drum that you use to uh, to, to grill the green chilies, to cook the green roast chilies. Them. The roast roast them. to green. That's the word I was looking for. That logo is fantastic. Fantastic. Not to take anything away from the green chili cheeseburger logo, but that logo is amazing. So I kind of wonder why if you're a Topes uh, employee, if you're John Traub, if you're Josh Suchon, the radio guy, let us know why you went cheeseburger route, not just green chilies. It fascinated right. me ever since then. All right. Well, rant over Al Albuquerque uh, Isotopes front office. You've been called out on the show before <laughs> the show podcast. And by, now uh, I just Tyler really, Mon. really want a green chili cheeseburger. So that's probably going to happen today. Right. So you still love them. Oh, absolutely. I love them. It's like but the difference between one, like hundred percent and hundred and fifty percent love. An inferior one in the state of Colorado. No, that is probably true. That is probably true. Sam, take it away. Well, I was just going to ask too. Like, so this is only a one-off, right? It is. Who knows? It, who knows? It could easily return next year, and uh, we you never know. But yes, this is the first time, and for 2017, it's just this one night. Do you think that has more value as a one-off, or do you think, um, you know, that they seeing the success, like you said, them just being able to sell all the gear as they have up until this point, you know, trying to always restock. 
Um, does it have more value as a one-off, or does it have more value when it is part of a series? Like if they were to do this every, I don't know, third Friday of the month in 2018. Well, I think if it is successful, then they might consider ramping it up the same way the Fresno Tacos were a one-time thing followed the next year by a every Tuesday home game thing. Um, but I think you know when you're just testing these waters for the first time, like with anything in life, you probably do it conservatively to start you know, understand the process, see how it gets received in the community, uh, get a gauge on uh, what the demand is, and then uh, proceed for the following season based on that knowledge. But you want to kind of start small and leave them wanting more and then give them more when the time comes for more to be delivered. It's big stuff. Um, do we have any other food item team conversions this year? Because I know there were a few last year that even flew a little bit under the radar. There was the uh, the slices at one time, correct? The Franks, Brooklyn went to turn into the Franks. And was yeah, that the Scranton, pierogies? Uh, Scranton Wilkes-Barre did the pierogies. Yeah, the Redding uh, Whoopie Pies. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. This year, I believe we still have uh, the Charlotte Pitmasters on the calendar, okay, if I'm not correct. mistaken. the Their barbecue, uh, anthropomorphic, of course, uh, their barbecue uh, sandwich logo, where the Pitmasters, a big barbecue night in Charlotte. I believe that's still coming up. And then we also have the multi-team Chicago versus New York pizza contest of sorts where Ooh. Brooklyn, the Cyclones, will be representing uh, New York-style pizza on August 4th, and uh, they're changing their name. I think that's the Slices. And then yeah, that uh, sounds right. Myrtle Beach Pelicans, a Chicago affiliate, will be representing Chicago. I'm assuming by, they're going to uh, call themselves the Casseroles because Chicago-style pizza is not pizza. All right, man, can, can, can you just can you just like be positive for a second? <laughs> there, it, it's I take deep, my pizza seriously, Ben! It's deep dish, deep dish. Um, yeah, casseroles if you want to be negative. Um, but yeah, there's going to be a, you know, they're not playing each other. They're in different leagues, obviously. But on the same day, um, the Cyclones and the Pelicans will uh, kind of face off metaphorically in terms of uh, which region has the best pizza. And we just heard what side Tyler is on. So, uh, you know, for whatever that is worth <laughs> to you, the for, listener. For your voting interests, if you care. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's pivot to a, a story um, you wrote this week about, or, you know, since we last talked anyways, about somebody that I think is a really interesting character, a really good find you had on your trip to California. Uh, when you went to Lake Elsinore, you made, met up with Terrence Tucker, who is not only just the clubhouse manager, um, somebody who, you know, if you ever work in baseball, you get to know them, especially if you're a player, especially if you a media member working in the clubhouse, you'll get to know these guys. But he's not only that, but he's also the director of community and player relations, which are two pretty difficult jobs that he's doing both at the same time for the storm. Uh, what can you tell us about Terrence Tucker? Well, you know, when I'm on the road, I'm just always looking for stories. And I met Terrence uh, dur during my time in Lake Elsinore and was immediately like, Man, this guy seems real popular at the ballpark, real engaged, real great attitude, and he's got an interesting uh, story. So I wrote about him. Check it out on MILB.com. But his break into baseball was one of his high school teachers also worked for the Padres, and now he's the full-time video coordinator. Um, so one of his teachers got him a job as the Padres bat boy when he was 17. So that's a really cool job for a teenager to have. And he loved the clubhouse atmosphere so much that he decided that's what he wanted to do professionally was work his way up through the ladder as a clubhouse manager with the goal of making it back to San Diego. Along the way, he uh, you know, got married, had kids. You know, Clubhouse manager, especially in the minor leagues, is tough to raise a family on. 
um, ended up in Lake Elsinore, and then in order to stay in Lake Elsinore, asked if he could be put on the sales staff and uh, you know work in a more traditional front office role as well. So he's been juggling those two things. I mean, he does have a clubhouse staff, so those two things can be juggled. But he's got these unique dual roles in minor league baseball. This guy who was a teenager, you know, just happened to be a bat boy, and now uh, over a decade later, is making a career out of it, and he still wants to make it back to San Diego someday as the uh, as the clubhouse manager. So interesting story for Terrence Tucker and just kind of shows how, you know, like any career, you know, a career in baseball can be long and winding and not what you expect, but it's cool to talk to those people who've made it work, uh, in unorthodox situations. And it's, it's just a cool story. He, uh, you know, the Padres made it to the uh, NLDS in 2005 and 2006 when Terrence was there and he got voted, um, into the playoff shares and he put himself through college with, um, playoff share money from his time as a bat boy. Um, with the San Diego Padres, and he said guys like Trevor Hoffman and Greg Maddox were real instrumental in that because the veterans realize uh, the value in, in how far that money goes for clubhouse personnel and the people behind the scenes. So it's just a, a really cool story overall. He said that he saw tips between 1000 and $20,000 uh, for major league guys when he was in the big leagues. And this is actually a point of discussion because uh, in the most recent collective bargaining agreement, there was a reduction in the amount of per diem money that major league players get uh, on the road. And that kind of factored into a concept among clubhouse personnel that they felt like that was going to translate into less tips and less money for visiting clubhouse workers. Um, I haven't actually heard a whole lot about that since then. I think players have kind of figured out a way to make sure that it was going to stay about the same um, for those guys because they make a ton of that money based on tips, and that is not an easy job. And, Ben, you've gotten to tell a lot of these stories over the years about some of these more unheralded roles at the ballpark. The feedback that you get now versus maybe the first few times that you wrote stories about clubbies or groundskeepers or those types of people. Do you think it's a kind of a continuing education? It seems like whenever we talk about stuff like this, people say, I never knew that much went into this job, fill in the blank. Yeah, and that's what I, you know, I'm always trying to do with this job and with the writing I do is to shine a light on aspects of the professional baseball life that uh, are behind the scenes and that don't really get too much attention. And that's certainly the case with clubhouse managers in general, guys like Terrence uh, specifically. And uh, I was telling Sam before we went, on, we went on the air because I actually talked to Sam before we went on the air. Um, oh. that this, this particular story did well on Twitter with uh, a lot of players, uh, particularly in the Padres organization, liking it and retweeting it and uh, kind of interesting to strike a chord with that. Them, probably because they see a guy like Terrence every day, appreciate what he does, and uh, you know, kind of want to, you know, increase the glare when he's in the spotlight momentarily through uh, through this article. So you can check that out on the site. It's at milb.com right now. Benjamin Hill, who is uh, the the tip of the spear with the coolest edition of Topps baseball cards in 2017. The 2017 Topps Pro debut set was released on May 24th, and it contains a 15 card Ben's Biz insert set. Um, the 10th edition of the 15 part blog series on each card is up at bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And this is one that I really was excited to talk about because it is the Jamestown John. And take it away. Yeah, you know, I keep writing and blogging about these baseball cards. I'll do an individual post until all 15 are highlighted. highlighted. Certainly one of my favorite in the set is number 10. Uh, it's the press box at Russell Dietrich Park, former home of the Jamestown Jammers, and technically still the home of the Jamestown Jammers, who are now a uh, not an affiliated team, but a team named the Jammers still plays there. But anyway, when I visited the Jammers in 2014, <clears throat> when they were still in the New York Penn League, their final season, I uh, went up to the press box and was shown the toilet in the press box 
And this is an old press box, old stadium, just an old wooden press box. And there's a toilet in the press box that has a window that directly opens up onto the field, which is just about eye level of uh, where you'd be when you're using the toilet. So the picture I took has the window open, the field visible, <laughs> and this toilet there. And so I always loved that picture. You know, I included it in my blog post at the time. Uh, I retweeted it years later and it got a lot of attention. I just always thought it was funny and cool what a, what a unique toilet this was. And so I submitted it as one of the potential cards for the Ben's Biz insert set. And uh, thanks to Tops. Um, for saying this is a good idea. A toilet has its own baseball card, and for me to be instrumental in giving a, what I believe is the first baseball card to a toilet ever is uh, something I'm really proud of and uh, definitely a career highlight. So you can check it out. The 2017 Tops Pro Debut set includes the Jamestown John card. And I don't know how you get that one autographed, but uh, you should definitely uh, check it out if you're a fan of toilets, baseball, or the intersection of the two. <laughs> It's a big demographic. It is. It is. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz there. There are five more blog posts to come in the uh, outlining the the unique cards that you'll find in the 2017 Topps Pro Debut Set 15-card Ben's Biz insert set. Um, And you can check out the first 10 blog posts, including the Jamestown John. Again, a a difficult autograph, but a heck of a view of a baseball game. Have you heard from anybody from the new Jamestown, the Jammers, like you said, no longer there? There is a Jamestown Jammers team that is there. It's not an affiliated minor league team. Have you heard from anybody in Jamestown since this came out? Uh, not specifically with the team, but I hope they are happy that their toilet has been <laughs> has been immortalized <laughs> in such fashion. Um, it's amazing that someone might be using it right now while looking at the card. You know, a very That's very true. meta yeah, experience. That, that would, yeah, that would be. So uh, you, you never know. But uh, yeah, that that toilet lives on. That ballpark lives on. Unfortunately, it does not host a affiliated minor league team anymore. But uh, if you're ever in Jamestown, visit the stadium. Maybe ask to visit the press box, and you can see what is. I think the best toilet in in all of in all of baseball. It's like an Easter egg in a video game, but it's real life. Go find the press box toilet in Jamestown, New York. Ben, thanks. Thank you, Tyler, and thank you, Sam. Oh yeah, good job, Sam. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Big thanks to Joe Adele and a big thanks to Benjamin Hill for joining episode 114 of the show before the show. And that'll just about do it. MILB.TV is the best place to catch the best and brightest of minor league baseball. Short season ball is just days away. You can get your subscription now at MILB.com. And uh, Sam, tell us about what you're watching on MILB TV this week. Yeah, so we did uh, tease that it is all-star game season. Um, and one of the games that will be on a on uh, MILB TV next week on June 20th uh, will be the Midwest League All-Star Game, uh, which will be held at the Dow Diamond in Midland, Michigan, which you might know is the home of the Great Lakes Loons. Um, the reason why I take this is because, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette are combining forces once again. Um, they will be in, <clears throat> in attendance representing the Lansing Lugnuts uh, in the East Division on that team. Um, Obviously, it's been a really, really impressive season for both of them. Um, I think Bichette has been particularly impressive, but also, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. playing, you know, his basically his high school senior season in the Midwest League uh, is fascinating. And the fact that they are both all-stars this quickly is really, really interesting. But also that uh, Dylan Cease will be in that game, uh, a couple other big names. So this is your opportunity 
to see an all-star game on MILB.TV. Um, it is that season. Uh, Midwest League, if you, if you want to get a chance to see two of the best hitting prospects, not only in that league, but I think in all of minor league baseball, regardless of level, uh, those two have been some of the most exciting at-bats that I've seen this year. Uh, you will get to see them against the best talent in their own circuit. Uh, so tune in next Tuesday uh, to watch the Midwest League All-Star Game. That's it for me. What about for you, Tyler? Sam goes with good prospect analysis and the type of uh, of intellectual conversation that you've come to know and love and expect from Sam. I'm going to go with the uniforms. Um, the Green Chili Cheeseburgers take the field on Friday against the Tacos in Albuquerque. And being the weirdo uniform and logo lover that I am, uh, that's what I will be watching, not in a baseball sense, but more in just a I'm really hungry and I want to eat both of those things sense. Um, and I love the the weird uniform matchups in minor league baseball. Last week, it was the Salt Lake Gulls who played host to the Albuquerque Dukes. And I may have actually picked that as my MILB TV game last week as well. So maybe we're on a two-for-two run and me just giving you no actual analysis, but just, hey, pretty colors and shapes and things (laughs) and certain orders that I like. But hey, man, I'm down with it. Yeah, no, listen, like that is a part of the minor league landscape. (laughs) It's the reason why we bring on Ben every every week. And, you know, MILB.TV, you don't just need to watch it for the baseball. You get to watch um, how some of these pretty uniforms work in action. So, yeah, if, if the opportunity presents itself, you might as well take it. I agree. I also uh, would like to plug once more that Ben pointed out that the New Mexico Tourism Board has a green chili cheeseburger trail on its website. Um, and they also, in addition to that, have a breakfast burrito byway. So Oof. there's a good chance that I just will, you know, like at the end of the Sandlot, they talk about how Bertram got really into the 60s and no one ever saw him again. There's a chance that maybe I'll just get into that with New Mexico food and you'll never hear from me again. A lot of people will be really happy about that, but um, I would, you know, I'd probably explode pretty instantly from all the green chili, but I'd be fine with it. I mean, if you want to do something like Fear and Loathing in New Mexico, but just strictly <laughs> with breakfast burritos. Other than drugs, it's just breakfast breakfast burritos and green chili. Yeah, I, 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 down, will be, I will Let's be your it. attorney in that situation. Let's make it happen. Yeah. I'm totally okay. in for that. Before we go, actually, I just there's one thing yeah. I wanted to say before we uh, wrap up here. I feel like we were really tough on you this week, so I, I don't. I want to leave it on a much oh, yeah, no, nicer note fine. than that. Like we it's, we were uh, ribbing you for most of that, you know, Belmont stuff, just me and Ben you know, between texts and stuff. But you know, fine. we're we're just we're grateful you're here, Tyler. That's fine. I, I want you to know that you guys don't know what Josh Jackson and I say about you behind your back. So that's true. You know. That's true. When you guys have the West Coast. That's uh, what the Slack summit. channel is all about. And you should have heard Ben today. No, we love you. We love you both. We love all of you. And we all love each other. <laughs> and that'll do it. <laughs> Episode <laughs> 114 of the show before the show podcast. Again, thanks for tuning in wherever you are. We're at MILB.com slash podcast. We're on iTunes. We're on the Stitcher app. And uh, give us a rating and a review and a subscription if you would be so kind. And uh, with that... We will put the uh, the finishing touches on this one as I search futilely to find the name of the 114th pick in the draft that I have already forgotten. And Brendan Murphy will not load. Brendan Murphy was his name, the left-hander from Illinois. Sorry, Brendan. We'll know your name. We'll know your name, man. We believe. Sorry, and also you're welcome for being. Mentioned. Yeah, that's true. That's true. For giving you a plug. Episode 114 in the books. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or 
I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 